Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Melissa and Brooke, and we are featuring authors of color. I usually try to do a couple of these each year because publishing is not always fair to authors who aren't white. So I like to have a few episodes where we feature those authors in particular and give them some extra publicity. So we are going to start with the usual housekeeping information. Then Brooke will start us off with her first pick, followed by Melissa and then me. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So if my first pick is Excuse Me While I Ugly Cry by Joya Goffney. And this book is about a girl named Quinn. And she is obsessed with writing lists. She has a journal that she takes around from place to place. And she has lists about the boys that she'd like to kiss, um, her top, like, things that scare her, um, different things that she likes, and just different stuff like that, like, kind of different things that give people, would, if somebody were to get a hold of this journal, would give a glimpse into her life that just wouldn't make it too comfortable. Well, one day she is doing, like, a school project with two boys from her class, and accidentally one of the boys his name's Carter Bennett he takes her journal instead of his own and so she realizes this and she's freaking out you can only imagine she just she's really really hoping that Carter does not read her journal because he happens to be on a few of her lists well he does say that he has it And he says that he will bring it to school the following day. So she goes to school and she meets up with him. And guess what? The journal has gone missing. Somehow, somebody has taken it from Carter. So obviously, Quinn is freaking right out. Like, she just doesn't even know what she's going to do. So she kind of decides that she is going to try and figure out where exactly somebody might have grabbed it. And well, they don't really find it. And then that evening, she gets this message from somebody that she doesn't know who it is. And they tell her that they have her journal and that she must do, like complete this list of seven things that totally terrify her. Otherwise, oh. they're going to release her um, some of her lists on social media. So she's freaking out because, as I said, like these are like things that scare the heck out of her, like um, telling her parents whether she got into Colombia, where they all would love her to go, um, where they kind of have always expected she would go because they're their alumnus and you know most parents would love if their children went to their their um, their uh, colleges and then there's other stuff like telling her best friend who's also her neighbor 
how he really she really feels about him um going to visit with her grandmother who has alzheimer's so she wonders if maybe carter could be the one behind this but at the same time she kind of wonders if maybe he could be trusted so she decides that she's going to ask him to help her figure out who has her journal and to get it back but while they're doing this carter is able to help her kind of get go through some of these things on her list because the blackmailer gives her like 12 hours that she has to do the first thing so her and carter decide that they're going to go and visit a couple of the colleges that she got into um that like are kind of like her second choices because she hasn't gone to see them so her and carter go and they also bring one of carter's friends her name is olivia and one thing you got to know about Quinn is her mother is white and her father is black. So she really feels like she's never really felt like she fit in anywhere. Like she kind of feels like she's not black enough to fit in the black crowd, that she's not white enough to be in the white crowd. And she just doesn't know where she fits in. Well, Carter and Olivia are both black and she as she gets to know them better, she, re- she can't really figure out why she's never tried to become friends with them. There's one situation in a book between the father, um, Quinn's father and Carter, that was kind of uncomfortable, like at least for me to read about. Um, so Quinn's father is a doctor and he comes in and Carter is kind of going to the he's heading to the out of the bathroom like he has just gone to the bathroom and he's going back to join Quinn and their and their other her other friend outside and he's walking out of the bathroom and her father walks in and he's like what are you doing in my house oh he's completely horrified like Carter is horrified so obviously he just wants to leave so he goes back and he grabs his stuff and Quinn's like, what's going on? And then he tells her and she's horrified, like completely, completely horrified. And she like confronts her father and asks him like, like what the heck? Like, why, why would you do that? Like, her father's answer to this whole thing is, well, we've never had a black person in our house. So that was, that was one situation in the book that really kind of, got me wondering and thinking about things that I don't go through that maybe others around me, well, not maybe, but that others around me might go through. So as Carter and Quinn are doing all these things, she is learning more about herself and also learning to face her fears. So I really, really enjoyed this book. I thought it was cute and it was awesome. It was a really entertaining read at the same time in times. So this is, excuse me while I agree, ugly cry by Joya Goffney. It sounds so good. Yes, it does. The book I am going to talk about is entitled Three Mothers and it by Anna Tubbs and it celebrates Black motherhood. It tells three stories. Each story is about a mother and son. The stories are about Martin Luther King and his mother which I found to be very interesting with this book because they don't talk about the mother's in history. No. Um, the second one is Berdice, B-E-R-D-I-S Baldwin. She's the mother of James Baldwin. And Louise Little is the mother of Malcolm Little, also known as Malcolm X. With James Baldwin's story, I found it, I really found it interesting that she knew he was gay already oh. and um it did he talks know about she knew or was it like a secret yeah yeah 
you know, he had to keep it kind of secret. Okay. Mom's always knew. Mom always knows <laughs> in some cases. Um, and I found out that Malcolm X, his mother was on public assistance, also known as well, welfare. So he grew up in a very bad neighborhood where all of his um, role models were pimps and pushers and drug dealers and the like. And he was one of many children. And her story was what she did to get through all of this and to keep him out of trouble. And Martin Luther King's mother was a pastor's wife. You know, she, but she was quietly a leader, you know, behind the scenes, um, instructing him and advising him. And one story is that the father did not like Martin Luther King's wife, but the mother did. And she was instrumental in him giving his blessing to them to get married. That is Three Mothers by Anna Tubbs. It's interesting because we don't hear a lot about, like, I don't know, I don't think I know much at all about, like, Martin Luther King's childhood or James Baldwin's or Malcolm X. And so certainly, like, we as as people who, I I should speak for myself, not everyone, but, like, I, as a white woman, just like don't I never learned about them aside from like the things that made them famous not really their their histories or their family lives yeah and as a black woman I didn't I learned more about the fathers and the men themselves and their Uh, wives but never about the mothers well here we go (laughs) so my first book um is kind of an interesting segue from Melissa's first. This is The School for Good Mothers by Jessamyn Chen. Um, This is a debut novel. Three of my books tonight are actually debut novels. And um, this is a really hard book to describe without giving spoilers. But this is one of my most anticipated books of 2022. It came out right. It was like the first book release day of the year. And I was super excited for it. I read it in about a day. So this is the story of Frida. And Frida is Asian American. Um, She views herself as more American than Asian, but her parents immigrated from from Asia and they don't really like to think of of Frida as American. Um, They have all these really high expectations for her And she, as a grown woman now, feels like she hasn't met them. She thinks that there's only one thing that she has done right in her life, and that was to give birth to her daughter, Harriet. Um, Her marriage is kind of on the rocks. Her husband has left her for his younger, prettier, whiter mistress. And she's like sharing custody of Harriet with him and really, really judgmental of his relationship with this other woman and how this other woman is going to be parenting her daughter. But one day, Frida does something very bad. She just has a terrible, terrible day. She totally like loses her, her grip on things and does something unthinkable. And I'm not going to tell you what she does. Um, if you read Goodreads reviews of this, a lot of people do give that away. Um, but I I don't think it's necessary for you to know what she did um, until you actually read the book. But as a result, Frida is now like in the sights of the government. The government is very, very upset and they're trying to figure out if she is indeed a good mother. And so they send her through this sort of reform program. And this is of course the school for good mothers which is the the title of the book. And so she goes to this place where she's forced to live for a year with all these other women who in various ways have been what the state deems bad mothers. 
And they are forced to undergo this program in order to teach them how to be better, how to be good. And the ways that they go about this are super creepy, um, very much over the top. This has definitely like a, a satirical bent to it. I think it's over the top on purpose to kind of illustrate just how ridiculous some people's ideas are about what it means to be a mother. Um, there are these really creepy, lifelike dolls that are programmed to basically act as though they're alive. Um, hey, I think really... we had something like that in, uh, in parenting classes. I think I you have something like that. I hope it's not exactly like this because these things like learn and oh. like move oh. and <laughs> like talk That's to creepy. you oh and my. disobey you. Oh, And they have this really gross like blue liquid inside them Ew. that somehow, yeah, oh my. somehow <laughs> like suppose that's what like makes them move. And every so often you have to go in and like remove this blue liquid and like put in new. But anyway, these dolls are supposed to like become your children for the year. And you are supposed to learn all these things about what the state deems good parenting. And this Whoa. has no real, like it, it doesn't make any exceptions for culture or like differences in parenting styles. It's like there is one way to be a good mother and one way only. And if you don't do it, if you don't follow all these rules to the letter, and even maybe if you do, you will not get to see your child again because they will decide that like you are just a, a bad mother. Oh, um, this book destroyed me. Like I, I will never be a mother. I don't, I don't like children all that much. Um, that's kind of a bad thing to say, but it's true. And I, so I don't, you know, I'm not the sort of like warmly maternal person who reads all these books about motherhood and like really falls in love with them. Um, but this book, the way Chan writes is just so, so moving and in, and evocative. Um, I, I certainly hope that our world never becomes the world in this book. Um, it is in kind of an unnamed city in a time that's portrayed as like not very distant from where we are now. Um, this is The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. I am a maternal person, but this too creepy for me. <laughs> no, thank yeah, the, you. Yeah, those dolls, they, they were, they're like super creepy. And there are like, they have them in different ages. So like if you were the parent of a teenager, you have like a fake teenager or like you oh can have God. a toddler or an Weird. infant. It's like super creepy to me. Um, but <laughs> I, I did like this book a lot for all that it's creepy. <laughs> So my next book is These Violent De Delights, These Violent Delights, book one by Chloe Gong. And this is, it's said to be like a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, but like, I feel like it's much more. So it's set in 1926 in Shanghai. And our main characters are Juliet and Roma. So Juliet is the heir to the Scarlets, which is one of the major gangs in Shanghai. And then Roma is the heir to the White Flowers. Hmm. And they are the other kind of gang. And they're both struggling to keep their, like, their place within the gangs and they're also struggling because them themselves used to have a relationship and things happen and there was a betrayal so when they see each other like everyone just doesn't get along nobody gets along well some of something happens and 
people from the gangs, like both gangs, begin dying. They begin like getting something attacks them and then they start tearing their like necks and they die because they end up like put like kind of cutting um, their own like jugular vein and stuff like that because they're kind of like trying to dig something out of themselves. Oh my. (laughs) So in order to save um, their people, Juliet and Roma, they have to put aside their differences and they have to work together to discover like what's attacking their people because they're worried that if the gangs aren't in charge, then the foreigners are going to take over. So one of the big themes of the book is about colonization. Um, you it's learn a, a lot about how the French and the British have come and they've taken over like they've just kind of like moved into Shanghai and taken over and they're how they have this sense of entitlement. Like that's another theme is this a sense of entitlement that the foreigners have. So Roma and Juliet are trying to save their city. And it's really neat because you see, like you get to meet um, Juliet's two cousins, Kathleen and Rosalind and you kind of get to see like how it relates to Romeo and Juliet's story and then you also get to see like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in the way that um when you meet Roma's um friends Benedict and Marshall and they're very much like the friends that Romeo had in the Shakespeare play so there's different parts where they'll say, yeah, yeah, I totally see how that relates to Romeo and Juliet. And then there's other places where you're like, this is so much more. And I can't really, I feel bad that I can't tell you much more, but if I do, it'll ruin it. So if you want to find out what is attacking the scarlets and the white flowers, then you need to check out these violent delights these Violent Delights, book one by Chloe Gong. This is on my list of things to read very soon. My second pick is The Choir Director by Carl Weber. And this is book one in this series. Um, there's a bishop by the name of T.K. Wilson. And he has this big, beautiful church And it's starting to fall apart because they have a lot of financial problems. And there is a time when they have to decide what to do or lose the church. So he gets the idea to have a choir and they can go and join a contest, which is a cash prize is given to the first place. So... He hires Aaron Mackey to be the choir director, not knowing about his past. You see, Aaron is a womanizer, and he's done some con jobs. And so the book follows him working with the choir, and they're doing their contest, and it also follows Aaron and his torn between two women, Simone and Tia. And he has his struggles with that. And uh, if I tell you more, to spell it. So it is the choir director by Carl Weber. Now this is a series. Um, also TK Wilson has his own series by Carl Weber as well. And cool. so it's it's a whole collection. If you love the characters, you just go from one book to the other. And I started it as a standalone, um, the choir director. And then I noticed that they had others, others to choose from. So I recommend it as well. I enjoyed it and I, I love gospel choir music so I enjoyed the choreography and the 
and the explaining of all the different songs and how they had to work together. A con man as a choir director. Yeah, but they don't know he was a con man. No, but he knows. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my next pick is a YA novel. This is Neil by Candace Buford. And this, I think will surprise people because um, I don't like children, but I also don't like sports. Like I really, really, really don't like sports. However, I'm going to talk about a sports themed book here. So Neil is the story of Russell Boudreaux and he lives in a small town in Louisiana. And he is a very, very talented football player. And to his way of thinking, his only way out of town is through football. So he wants to get a scholarship and you know go to college for football and be a professional football player. And people are pretty sure that this is exactly what he's going to do. Um, a lot of talent scouts are interested in him and it would just be really hard for people to understand like how it couldn't work out well for Russell. But then his best friend, is unfairly arrested and as a result, kicked off the football team. And this really sends Russell into a tailspin. Like he's heard stories about this, like he knows that other black people have experienced this, but it's never really touched him personally. So he doesn't really know how he wants to deal with it. Um, A lot of people tell him like, oh, you know, well, we have to follow the rules. And like, if you break the law, then you can't be on the team. And he's like, but you know, this guy didn't break the law. And so therefore like this, this makes no sense. So he's starting now to see for himself the discrimination that exists in sports for black people. And he decides on kind of the spur of the moment that he's going to kneel during the national anthem. And as he does this, it totally upends his identity in this town because, you know, he was kind of like this hometown hero. People figured he was going to be like the big success story in this town. And now there's so much hatred directed at him because they're saying that, you know, he's trying to like bring politics into sports and he's detracting from the goal of the game. And, you know, he's just trying to make trouble. Like they don't stop and think about like why he has chosen to do this, like what what he thinks that he's standing for and like why this is important to him. And so he's trying to explain to people that he's close to, like why he feels like this is something that he had to do. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, And eventually he is forced to sort of re-examine everything that he thought he knew about himself and his town and the sport that he has always loved. This is definitely a sports book, but it's also a book about social justice, about self-empowerment, I think, and about like standing up for the things that you know are right, even when you're punished and vilified for doing so. So this is Neil by Candace Buford, and I'm really, really glad that I read it. I will have to add this to my TBR list. Yes. So my next book is Felix Ever After by Kaysen Callender. So as you can guess, our main character's name is Felix. Felix Love. And Felix Love has never been in love. And I know that seems ironic. But Mm. he... He doesn't really know what love is supposed to feel like. And he really wants, he'd love to be in love someday. He just doesn't know that love will ever find him. He wonders if maybe there's just too much to his identity. Um, he's a person of color. Um, he's, a tr- he's trans and he's queer. So he worries oh that, yeah, he worries that somebody is going to think he's too much work. Um, he's 17, so you can only imagine 
how difficult that age is. Yes. He goes to he goes to a prestigious art school, and he's while the book is taking place, we're joining him at the summer session. So he goes to work, uh, goes to school one day, and there's like this gallery that is in the front lobby of the school, where often the school will put up, will get different students to put up like art from that they've done or some kind of, kind of showcase what they've been working on. Well, horrifying for Felix, somebody has scrounged up and printed off a bunch of pictures from before he transitioned and has also now told everybody his former name. Um, he does not ever tell anybody about his name. Um, it really bothers him that his father still sometimes refers to him by that name. Um, his father is like, you can tell that his father is really trying, but Felix really feels that his father doesn't really, doesn't quite accept him as much as he would like him to. Um, I loved the, his one friend that he has, his name is Ezra. And it was really interesting to see the relationship that he had with his friend. Like they were like the best of friends and they hung out like all the time. So a lot of people used to assume that he was like them and that they were together, but they weren't. And so this book is a lot about finding himself. Like Felix realizes as the book goes along that he needs to learn to love himself. And so this book is a lot about self-discovery and like there's different things that happen um, so when they define this gallery, he decides, along with Ezra, that they're pretty sure that they know who did this. So Felix decides that he's going to do like a kind of like catfishing on this Ooh. student. Um, so he creates a fake Instagram profile and he starts catfishing this student. And as he learns about the student, he learns that hmm, maybe the student didn't do it. And so he now has to figure out who might've done it. And at the same time, he's starting to get to know a little bit about the student that he didn't know. And he's starting to wonder if maybe there could be something more. And that, my friends, is all I can share. I know it was barely nothing, but like this book <laughs> is the kind of book that you could spoil way too easy. So this is Felix Ever After, and it's by Kason Calendar. My next pick is The Boyfriend Project by Farah Rojan. And it is book one, number one in the series. It tells the story of three women. The main one is Samia. And she just discovered that she has a two-timing jerk. And that he is only playing her and two other women. Oh. Yeah, he is. So she is very upset about this. She finds out about the other two women and then they team up together and they say we're giving up we're giving up on men we're gonna do this we're, we can support each other and we're gonna get even with with him as well yet Samia is tested when her job hires this very handsome man who's educated and professional and she's like oh I don't know if I can do this and it also tells the story of their revenge on Mr. Two-timer well three-timer I guess 
<laughs> so I really enjoyed this book. I wish they had more revenge. Yeah, there's not it. a lot of revenge, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's um, the Boyfriend Project by Farah Rochon. I have the second one in the series, which is um, the Dating Playbook. Playbook, yeah. On my phone, I have not read it yet, but I want to because I really, really liked this one, despite sort of the lack of of revenge. Like you see a little right? bit, of it, but... yeah. I did like it. And, you know, she's a new author for me. She was a new author for me. So that was my challenge last year is to have read a lot of new authors and different books. That's a good challenge to have. I'm about that. All right. So my next book is the third debut for me tonight. This is Wahala by Nikki May. And this is um, set in England. It is about three Anglo-Nigerian best friends. And they've been friends since college. Um, Each of them has kind of a a unique relationship with her own cultural identity. So we have Ronke, who is successful as a dentist, um, but she feels this kind of gap in who she is because her father died when she was young. And so she never really got to fully know him as a man and doesn't know a lot about her Nigerian culture. As a result, she dates all these kind of like yuckety Nigerian men who are playing her in different ways. She's dating this guy um, when the book first starts and his name is Kayode. And she's convinced that he is like the perfect guy. Her friends are pretty sure he's not, but she doesn't listen. Then we have Boo and Boo is married. She has a four-year-old daughter and she's really feeling trapped by her life. Like she wants to be who she was kind of before she was a wife and a mother. And so she's really feeling like she's, missing so much of herself. Um, She never knew who her father was. He was basically just around long enough to get her mother pregnant and he disappeared. So she has decided that she's just going to forget about Nigeria. She doesn't want to identify as Nigerian at all. She doesn't want to date Nigerian men. She doesn't want to visit Nigeria. It's just done. And then we have Simi. And Simi has pretty much convinced everyone that her life is perfect. She's married. She is like a successful sort of like fashion designer. And her husband really wants them to have a baby. She's sort of pretending to go along with this, um, even though she's not interested in having a baby right now. But she hasn't wanted to have this conversation with him. So she kind of just acts like, oh, yeah, you know, one day. Like, it'll happen. I'll get pregnant. And really, she's like actively trying not to get pregnant. And he does not know this. Um, She's also not real happy in her job. Um, She keeps hearing people talk about her quote unquote urban vibe. And this makes her very uncomfortable. She wants to be seen sort of more than like the the token black woman in her in her workplace. So Isabel comes into this friend group and Isabel is a longtime kind of frenemy of Simi's. And she kind of explodes into the lives of these three women. And she's super rich, super flashy, very, very over the top. And Boo and Simi are super happy to have her among them. Um, Ronke, not so much. She's very suspicious of Isabel and kind of resents the cracks that she sees forming in the friendship that has been kind of like the mainstay of her life for so long. People classify this as a thriller, and I don't know why, because it's it's certainly not. Um, it is, I think, women's fiction. It's a story of female friendship. There is a little bit of a mystery in that, like, we don't really know what Isabel is up to, um, but I wouldn't say that it's enough to make this a thriller. For me, this is like firmly in the women's fiction camp. 
Um, I loved it a lot. I read it on audio. It was super, super compelling. And I'm eager to see what Nikki May has in store for us next. This is Wahala. And again, it's by Nikki May. Wahala being another word for trouble. So my last book tonight is Happily Ever Afters. Happily Ever Afters, book one by Elise Bryant. Ooh. So our main character's name is Tessa and Tessa is 16. She loves to read, but she's never read um, books like romance books about people like her. So she is a woman of color. And so she's decided that she is going to write her own romances. So she writes her romances and her only reader though is her best friend, Caroline. So she has been accepted to a prestigious school and she's all excited. Like she's really, really excited about this because she gets to do like kind of get credits for doing what she loves. So she's very excited about this. So she goes to school and her first day, um, she's going to the creative writing workshop that she has to go to. And she gets at her computer, gets ready to write because like she's always ready to write. And guess what? The words won't come. Oh, this is horrifying for her because she knows that her parents have spent like a lot of money to send her here. And she feels a lot of pressure that she has to succeed because like this is all she's ever wanted to do is write. I really thought this school was neat because there was different like the different students and like they're the things that they each of the students like had um, that we get to meet, they have like a different specialty. So like there's another woman, uh, another girl we meet. I'm trying to remember her name. I think it's Lenore. And she's like the fashion person. So we get to meet her um, Tessa's first day. So Tessa goes and she's in the bathroom and something happens that's horrifying. Like as a teenager, I actually had something similar happen as a teenager and Lenore saves her like Tessa is surprised because like mm -hmm. like Lenore doesn't know her but Lenore is just this kind of person that is always willing to help out where she can and she's very much into fashion so she's able to just whip up something to help out Tessa with her problem so things are kind of going along and Tessa's like pretending that she's writing like she's she's more just kind of writing lists and she's writing like just kind of really trying and trying and trying and like she what she's doing to try to get by for now is she's submitting old work that she's done because as far as she knows like nobody's ever seen this work oh no <laughs> i know oh <laughs> oh um I'd, at home, oh her home life is really interesting. Like she's got a, she has her brother, like is a couple years older than her, her and he has a disability and it's so neat to see the way that it, her family is. And you kind of see some of the issues that also that um, able-bodied siblings run into when they have a, when they have a sibling with a disability. And like mm -hmm. the way that sometimes the parents have to focus more on one kid over the other. And it's really neat because um, we get to meet her neighbor across the road. And Sam, he really is so cool because he treats Miles like, like he's just any other kid. Like he goes out of his way to make sure that Miles is comfortable. Like in one part of the book, um, Sam is gonna watch movies. So asks if Miles wanna, might want to come over and watch movies. So I thought that was so cool that he just accepted her brother. And I thought that was really neat. Well, she tells Caroline about her problem of not being able to write. 
And her Caroline comes up with this plan that maybe she just needs to create in her own life a happily ever after. And that will inspire her writing. Well, I'm guessing that you can only imagine how this will go. Because <laughs> Caroline has made a list of all of like the different um, romance tropes. Ooh. So like, Ooh. and like all of the different romance kind of like ways of meeting. So like um, spilling water. So like um, there's this guy in her class and he's like this hot guy, same as Nico. And he's like the hot guy in the school and she's all like excited about this guy and she's decided that he's definitely going to be the one. So Caroline says, hey, why don't you like spill coffee or water on him? So what does yeah, she do? Yeah, because that's good. I know. Yeah. She, she spills her water bottle on him. So you can only imagine. So mm. as she's getting to know Nico and she's crossing things off this list that her and Caroline meet, she's realizing that she's losing herself and she wants to trying to figure out like how far is she willing to go past herself before it's time to rethink things so different things happen while this is all going on and I don't want to ruin anything so I'm not going to give it away but I loved the relationship that she develops with her neighbor like they're best friends they like drive to school every day and he like talk like the way that they talk with one another and like he he actually goes to the school for um cooking and I thought it was so cool because he wants to be his own person like his mom is this like famous tv cook tv chef but he doesn't want to go off like her her tails her coattails like he wants to be his own person so I thought that was so cool and just to kind of get to know him so this is Happily Ever Afters, Happily Ever Afters, book one, and it's by Elise Bryant. Wow. <laughs> and book two is about Lenore. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. By special request. Yay! Block Shot by Kennedy Ryan. It tells the story of these two young people Banner and Jared, who meet in college and have a nice little romance, a college romance. Then it ends. And in the in my community, the black community, most women will say, You hurt me, you're not getting a second chance. Well, this is what Banner is doing. And then 10 years later, they're both sport agents and so they're trying to outdo each other yet Jared has a something else in mind he wants her back he wants a second chance and that's what the story does it follows them and it's I don't remember what book it is in the series three I think because it's long shot and then hook shot uh, yeah so it may be number three um we can look it up I will look it up for the show notes yeah so that's block shot by Kennedy Ryan on request from Shannon yes yes I read um long shot which is the first book in this series and the one that Kennedy Ryan won Arita for back in I think 2018 Mm -hmm. and um I really really liked it again I'm not a sports person so I wasn't (laughs) sure that I would like a basketball book but I really did (laughs) and I was super excited to learn that she had also written a book about Banner because I really liked Jared in in long shot and I was interested to kind of see like if they would be able to get back together. <laughs> All right. So I am wrapping us up tonight with The Sweetest Remedy. This is the second novel by Jane Igaro. And this is the story of Hannah. She is half white and half Nigerian. She has never known her father. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like Boo in the Nikki May book that I talked about previously, Um, Hannah's father has never been a part of her life. He just sort of got her mom pregnant. They had a fling and he was gone. So Hannah has always just grown up, her and her mom. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And she feels kind of disconnected from part of her culture, but there's never really been anything that she's done about that. She just kind of feels like she doesn't know how to start. She doesn't know if she can ever right. fit in. So her father dies and she is invited to Nigeria for the funeral. And she's not really sure she wants to go because like he's never been there for her. And like, why should she travel to Nigeria and like put herself in this really awkward situation. Mm-hmm. But she ultimately decides that she will go because this is kind of like her one chance to get to know something about this sort of hidden part of, of her culture. So she travels to Lagos and she meets her father's family and they are this like insanely rich, prominent Nigerian family. And so, as you might expect, not all of them are very happy to see Hannah. Um, (laughs) They view her as kind of an interloper and like maybe she's just out for the money. Mm. Um, They're also, you know, his his children are very suspicious of her. Like they they feel like she's a threat to their mother and kind of like her view of the relationship that she had with their father. So there's all kinds of like family dynamics here that are, you know, nice at some points and awkward in others. I think Mm -hmm. a very realistic view of a family in flux, like learning that your father, you know, had this this other child that you never knew about. Like, I'm guessing that's not um, a great thing to discover, especially just like after he's, he's died. So this is a family story. It's also a bit of a romance. While she is in Lagos, she meets mm. this man who starts to kind of help her, like, come to terms with all of her, like, mixed feelings about her father, um, but also, mm. you know, is interested in her romantically. So, like, how will she choose to kind of wrap all this up? Like, will she stay in touch with her Nigerian family? Will she just, like, fly back home and forget about it? Um, this is... The Sweetest Remedy, it is by Jane Egaro. Um, she wrote her debut as a novel called Ties That Tether, um, which is also about a Nigerian woman kind of looking for love. But I think this one, um, Ties That Tether, is I think more of a straight up romance and less of a women's fiction, which is what I would consider The Sweetest Remedy. This one being as a women's, fi- I would say this one is more of a women's fiction too. Yeah. <laughs> And that wraps us up for tonight. Thank you to Brooke and Melissa for coming up with such great books for tonight's episode. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, yes, we we definitely uh, would be lost without an editor sometimes. And (laughs) we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.